long passage. Well, I wonder uh, if you've ever heard of this phrase, if you know, you know. Heard of it? If you know, you know. It's, um, if you don't know, then it's, it's actually a phrase to, to tell you that there's some things that some people have inside knowledge about. It's like a private joke. If you know it, then you know the inside knowledge. If you don't, then you don't. So if I say to you this morning, I love you 3,000. See, some of you immediately get what I'm talking about. If you know, you know. If you don't, I'm not going to say. There are whole Facebook groups, aren't there, operating on this idea of inside knowledge. Of course, the biggest Facebook group in the world is one called, one of my favorites, Subtle Asian Traits. It's all about people who are Asian and what they know as insider private jokes. So I found a few recent subtle Asian trait memes on this idea of if you know, you know, and let's see if you know. If you know, you know. If you know Chinese, you'll know why. How about this one? Yeah? And how about this one? This stuff's disgusting, I hate it. But if you know, you know. And then finally... (laughs) What Asian kid hasn't had that experience? Ma, can I sleep over my friend's house? Your house no better. (laughs) So many of our social experiences and groups and friendships, jobs, our own identity have that sort of inside versus outside element, right? Some people are in it, some people are outside of it. Think about the different social groups or the clubs that you might be a part of in your school or university or the company you work in. There are those who are in, there are those who are out. There are those who are included, there are those who are excluded. Now that's all fair and well out there, but what happens when that comes into the church? What happens when that comes into a church? Some will be on the inside. Others will be on the outside. Some will feel superior. Others will made to feel inferior and left out. Now you can imagine what that would do to relationships within the church that are actually supposed to be about equal love and care for everyone. When that comes into the church, it's a disaster, isn't it? Well, you know what? That was the ancient church of Corinth. This was, and the title of our series is Messy Church, because it was a messy, divided church. Now, a church is very, very, very gifted, especially when it comes to supernatural, spiritual blessings. We'll see that in a moment. But it was a church that's very immature, very ungodly in the way that it handled these supernatural blessings. Now, if we as Swek are to be a mature and godly church, then we would do very well to pay attention to what went wrong there. Because we're not that different sometimes to Corinthian churches. So let's pray and let's ask God to help us as we get into this passage. Father God, this chapter is in some ways such a big rebuke for you on your church back then through Paul to the Corinthians, but also potentially to us. So help us to hear it and help us to be a church that does function as a loving, united body of Christ. Amen. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 is one of the key chapters on this idea of spiritual gifts and what it means to play our part in the body of Christ. And that's going to be the key image, the key metaphor 
for church, the body of Christ. Now, I've got seven key points to help us navigate this chapter, and they're on your outlines for you. So firstly, let's go through one and why one. Firstly, all Christians are spiritual. Now, you look at chapter 12, verse 1, it begins with now about spiritual gifts. Unfortunately, our English translations over-translate that. Actually, it should read now about spiritual matters or spiritual things. The word spiritual gifts doesn't come up until verse 4. He actually wants to bring in a topic about spiritual things in general before he goes into specifically about spiritual gifts. Now, this reminds us of the context of the letter so far. And we started 1 Corinthians last year. We're actually continuing in chapter 12 now. So let me do a quick recap. 1 Corinthians is one of the New Testament's earliest letters written by the Apostle Paul, church planter, pastor, missionary, to a church that he planted and pastored in the ancient city of Corinth in ancient Greece. Now, Corinth was a, a vibrant cosmopolitan city in the ancient world at the heart of civilization, but Corinth is more New York than it is Washington, D.C. It's more Melbourne than it is Canberra, if you know kind of the difference what I'm talking about. It's about culture, it's about the vibe, it's, that's the kind of city Corinth was about. But it was a messy church. The world and its values outside the church really heavily influenced God's people rather than it be the other way around, that God's people should be influencing the world. No, it was coming in. And so much of 1 Corinthians chapters 1 to 6 were dealing with problems that came from the world infecting the church. And then from chapter 7 onwards, Paul replies and responds to a letter that we don't have, that they wrote to Paul, but he now responds point by point, to things that they've raised. That's from chapter 7 onwards. And he'll start each section with now concerning or now about the matters you raise. And that's exactly what's going on in chapter 12. Now concerning, now about these spiritual matters. Now back in chapter 7, he begins with a discussion about marriage and singleness. And then in chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11, it's going to be about food that had been sacrificed to idols because this is a, you know, a pagan society with lots of idols, lots of temples. And food sacrifices, should we eat them? Should we not eat them? When can we? When can't we? And then that turns in those later chapters to issues about worship and what you do in the public worship assembly. So that's chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11. And then chapter 12, it's the next issue. And the issue has to do with spiritual gifts. Now the first thing that Paul wants to establish then in verse 1 is that every Christian is spiritual. That's my first point. Every Christian is spiritual. Now, that's different to how the Corinthians were acting, because they were acting as if there were some who were more spiritual, insiders, versus some who were less spiritual, outsiders. Right? Some were more spiritual than others because they had certain gifts and experiences. And Paul wants to say in those first three verses, which we won't read again, but his point is simply, no, that's not the case. You see what he's saying? Every Christian, he says, who confesses that Jesus is Lord has the Holy Spirit. See, when a person follows Jesus as Lord and Savior, God gives you a new heart by giving you His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God Himself, God the third person of the Trinity. God coming inside you to live in you. You become a dwelling place, a temple of the Holy Spirit. And this is true of every single follower of Jesus, every single Christian, from the baby Christian from day one to a decades-old Christian, from newcomer to church pastor. Every Christian 
Every follower of Jesus is equally spiritual. Now, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, God is saying to you today that you can have a new heart. You can have a new beginning. God can actually take up residence in your life and change you from the inside out by His Spirit if you will give your life to Jesus and trust in Him. And if that's you, come and speak to me or one of the pastors afterwards because we'd love for you to experience what we have. But if you have, then this is Paul's point. Everyone is genuinely equal. All Christians are spirit-filled, so therefore all Christians are spiritual. That's my first point. Second point. All Christians are charismatic. Now, verse 4, Paul now begins to talk about spiritual gifts, right? Remember verse 1? It's really more broadly. Who is spiritual? Spiritual matters. Now he uses the word spiritual gifts, which in the Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, is the word charismata. Charismata is related to, the first part of that word is the word charis, which is actually someone's name, okay? It's where we get the word charity from in English. Charis means grace. Grace, such an important word in the, uh, the biblical ideas. And grace is free, undeserved favors. Grace is not something you can earn. Grace is given to you completely free, even though you don't deserve it. So charismata, therefore, are grace gifts. Gifts of, gifts of grace, grace gifts. That's the central idea. <clears throat> now, later on in verse 7, it's going to be really clear. Every single Christian is not only spiritual, every single Christian has been given at least one grace gift, at least one charismata. We are all, in the original sense of the word, therefore we are all charismatics. Now I want you to note three things, though, about spiritual gifts. Firstly, remember that they are charismata. Charis is the important first part of that word. It's out of grace. When it comes to spiritual gifts, you don't deserve them. They're given to you as gifts. They're free. You didn't earn them. So there's no place for boasting, is there? There's no place for thinking, I'm better than someone else. Because it's a gift from God to you. Second thing, they are gifts given not just to you, but they're given to you for the sake of others. Right, they're given to you for the sake of others. So I might come to you and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to deposit $10,000 in your bank account. It's a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Or I might come to say to you and say, I'm going to give you $10,000 in your bank account because I want you to use that $10,000 this year in May during the Red Shield Appeal, Salvos, to actually use that $10,000 to bless others. You see, it's, it's still a gift, but one is for you to use selfishly. The other is for you to, as a gift through you to others. Charismata is more like the second. It's a gift to you, but for others. Right? Not to, for you to just keep to yourself and feel proud of. More of that later. That's the second thing. Third thing. Spiritual gifts are not talents. All right, they may involve talents, but they don't equal talents. Often we think that, a spiritual gift is simply a talent. Now, I think that's a big thing we need to get over because a talent is quite different to how spiritual gifts are described in this chapter. A talent usually means you are exceptionally good at something or you have a naturally, natural ability to do something better than others. You're talented at something. Now, if you only think of spiritual gifts as talents, 
then if you don't feel like you have a talent at something, that you're better than others, that you're exceptionally good at something, then you really will think, well, I don't have a gift. Right? Because if we equate it with talents, that's our problem. But actually, that's not really the idea of spiritual gifts. Let me give you a working definition of what a spiritual gift is if you take into account this whole chapter. I think it's better to see a spiritual gift, a charismata, as an ability matched with an opportunity to serve others in the church in whatever way you can. You got that? An ability, not necessarily a talent, but an ability. Are you able to? Can you? Match with an opportunity. And it's for the others in the church to serve them. So it may be something that you're talented at. Great. But it may not be. Do you see? That's my point. It may be just something you're okay at, that you just have an ability. You can do it. Like, I don't think I have a talent for admin. I certainly don't love it. But I can do it. And sometimes I need to do it. Actually, I do need to do it often for your sake. Right? So something that you're just okay at, but there's a need and you can do it. You can faithfully serve doing it to the best of your ability. That's more a spiritual gift rather than just a talent. Um, And that means something that we have to really grapple with. A spiritual gift can come and go. It can simply be circumstantial. because, And that's how it's different to a talent. A talent tends to stay with you, yeah? But a spiritual gift may not stay with you. Let me give you an example. Early on, our, our church is about to celebrate 10 years. I'll tell you more about that later on. But earlier on in, in, in our church, um, and if you were here right at the beginning, you might remember that I would sometimes, often, too often, um, pick up a guitar and lead the worship. Right? Now, I think back then I had a spiritual gift in music. But... I don't have it anymore in that there is actually no need for me to pick up a guitar and lead worship, and probably for your sake, that's a good thing too. But you see, a spiritual gift, if it's an ability matched with an opportunity, well, yeah, I have the ability, but the the opportunity is no, no longer needed for the senior pastor to pick up a guitar and lead worship. And so you can sometimes think of a spiritual gift as, well, it was, there, it was for then, but it's not now. Do you, do you see? You've got to think about it in a much more biblical way, not just tied to talent. Okay, so that was my second point. Every Christian is a charismatic. Third, the key idea in the whole chapter is summarized by three words, unity in diversity. You've got that? Unity in diversity. The many and the one. The one in the many. So uh, look with me again. Verses 4 to 6 really are the, the central part of this chapter. You understand verses 4 to 6, the whole chapter makes sense. So verses 4 to 6, let me read again. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, what do you notice? Well, you notice that the emphasis is on what I said. Three words. Unity, one, in the midst of diversity, many. All kinds of different gifts and service and workings, but one Spirit, one Lord, one God. Pretty clear. Did you notice something else? Did you notice the Trinity? Did you notice the Trinity? God who is one God is the perfect example of unity and diversity, isn't he? One God but three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Here we've got it in reverse order. One Spirit, one Lord, Jesus, one God, and... I think he means particularly God the Father. It's very appropriate that the one and the many is modeled on the Trinity. 
Unity in diversity at the very heart of the universe. Now, I say these are also key verses because these three elements give us a clue to how the rest of the chapter is pretty much broken up. We won't go through each part in detail, but actually, verses 7 to 11 will play on the idea of the Spirit being the one source. It's kind of the unifying idea in that section. The next section, verses 12 to 14, emphasize the idea of Jesus being the Lord of the one body. It's His body. And then verses 15 to 26, while it's still on the body of Christ, will particularly emphasize it's about God and His one purpose. So it's a really nice few verses that really open up the rest of the chapter for us. But coming back to the key idea, it's unity and diversity. Let's think about it. The same God who made snow, which if you've seen it, blankets a mountain in this kind of uniform whiteness. Well, he also made each snowflake unique. Amazing, isn't it? You and I are all different. We all have different gifts. We all have different parts to play, but we are one. That's the key idea. Verse 7 says that each gift... Each charismata is a manifestation, a display of God's Spirit, and it's given for the common good. You see there, end of verse 7? For the common good. We're to be unified in our diversity It's because it's for the common good. Next point. There are more gifts than the ones listed. This is important because when it comes to spiritual gifts, you could go online, you can read books, articles, surveys, which we've actually done in the past, to find your spiritual gift. And that's okay, right? Sometimes it's helpful, but a lot of it works on the assumption that this list of New Testament gifts are all the possible gifts that God has to give to His people. So you find all the parts in the Bible where there's gifts like here and other places we'll mention in a moment, and they're the list. And so you do a survey and you try and match yourself to that list. Now, most scholars of the New Testament agree that Paul, who writes here, and other New Testament writers who wrote about spiritual gifts, there's not many, but they all pretty much agree none of them um, intended to be a full list, okay? Or that even any of them knew what a full list would be, even if there was a full list. Now, in here, in in this this chapter and the next chapter, uh, chapter 13, which we'll look at next week, We have the longest list, the biggest list. Other places, in case you want to look it up later on, Romans 12 is another. Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. They're basically it, right? 1 Corinthians 12 to 13, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. But again, even if you put it together or separately, they're not full lists. That's important to remember. There are many, many more types of spiritual gifts that aren't included here. So what are these gifts then? Because we want to understand this passage. So let me go through these gifts quickly, one by one, and then ask the question, well, why did he only focus on these ones and not others? So firstly, what? So let's go through them one by one. Look at verses 8 to 10. He first mentions a message of wisdom and message of knowledge. You can count them as two separate ones or 1A and 1B if you like. Verse 8. What is that? Well, this seems to be an ability to speak into someone else's life in a helpful way, right? A message that you can give to someone to help them in some way. If it's wisdom, a message of wisdom is probably more directive and more practical to their situation. If it's knowledge, then it's more general, passing on the truths of God or the, what's revealed in the Bible so that it might be helpful for them, all right? 
Now, many of you who are leaders, especially in CG context or other contexts, you have this gift. That's why you teach. You give wisdom, you give knowledge. All right, next one. Verse 9, the gift of faith. Now, this isn't faith that saves you, that helps you become a Christian in the first place. Um, He probably means here a supernatural faith to believe God for something that is situationally unlikely, humanly impossible even, generally unexpected or miraculous. All right? It's believing in something that God hasn't told everyone would happen, but you believe it's going to happen and it does happen. It's a supernatural faith not everyone has. Now, if you're a history buff and you want to read about a couple of guys that I think, a lot of people think might have had a clear gift of faith, then um, there's a guy called George Mueller who... uh, you know, 150 years ago, helped build lots of orphanages in England. Um, and there's the um, famous missionary to China, James Hudson Taylor. I think that may be another example of the gift of faith. Anyway, that's faith. Next one, verse 9. Gifts of healing. Now notice, it's gifts, plural. Now in the original context, it probably means supernatural healing. And it's plural gifts because... It may be that someone might have a gift of healing some particular ailment, but not all ailments. And others might be able to heal that ailment, but not, you know. So there's more than one type of gift of healing. But I think in context, it's probably talking about supernatural healing. And then verse 10, you've got the next one, miraculous powers. Um, In that is a sort of catch-all for other miracles that aren't just healing. I mean, Jesus didn't just heal. He did a lot of healing, but he also multiplied food. He walked on water. He stilled the storm. He turned water to wine. Other miraculous powers. It's another gift. Next one, prophecy in verse 10. Now, there's a lot of debate on this, and really I'm going to cover it in more detail in two weeks' time in chapter 14. But it probably, prophecy means the ability to communicate a message given by God Right? tailored to a particular group or person. To deliver a message given by God, tailored to a particular group or person. It's a different to teaching. Right? It's different to teaching, and it's not identical to preaching, but I think there's some overlap. But I'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks. That's prophecy. Second one. Oh, sorry, next one after that. Uh, verse 10, distinguishing between spirits, Now, because it's tied to prophecy, it probably means particularly a gift to be able to evaluate, to weigh up whether someone who's just given a prophecy has actually given a prophecy from God or from a false spirit or somewhere in between. It might have just been something from their own spirit, you know, their own kind of heart, their own hobby horse, their own feelings, their own emotions, right? Be able to distinguish, is it God-given, is it person-given, or is it actually satanic even? That's distinguishing between spirits. And last two, more of an A and B one again, speaking in tongues and interpretation. So speaking in tongues is an ability to speak and particularly pray in a language a person haven't previously learned, whether it's a human language or an unknown language or an angelic language, something. Gift of interpretation can make that unknown language understandable, not just to others, but also to the speaker themselves sometimes. All right? Now, that was like super breakneck speed. 
There are books you can read more about it. But I wanted to go through them, not just to ask what they are, but to ask the question of why. Why would these gifts be listed and not others? Keep in mind, this is not a full list, and no part of the Bible has a full list. So Romans 12, for example, will include other gifts that are really much less miraculous and spectacular, but just as important. Gifts of encouragement, of showing mercy, of generosity. So why in 1 Corinthians 12 these ones? Well, it probably has to do with the fact that the issue that the Corinthians were really trying to deal with had everything to do with these kind of gifts. You notice they're all more or less supernatural ones, okay? Or at least upfront, showy type gifts. And it seems like the Corinthians really had issues dividing them from these gifts, especially, we think, the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues seems to be the big one. And that's not surprising if you know some of the history of the Pentecostal or what's called the charismatic movement in the 20th century. Tongues can be such a dividing issue. It's an inside or outside issue. It's a if you know, you know, and if you don't, you don't issue. Right? And it seems like the Corinthians were really divided on that one. And not just tongues, but also the other miraculous gifts like healing and prophecy and See, no church has ever divided over gifts of encouragement or generosity or administration. I'm so jealous of your gift of administration, therefore I'm not talking to you anymore. It never happens. Right, this list, therefore, is less of a checklist of which gifts are available. It's probably more about the kind of gifts that when used badly can seriously damage a church. So we need to pay attention not just because of what they are, but why they're mentioned here, so we don't make the same mistakes. All right, next point, and this is really important. We'll get to the practical end now. We are all indispensable. Indispensable means you can't do without. Indispensable members of Christ's body. So from verses 12 to the end of the chapter, you get that key idea, image introduced. It's Jesus, or sorry, Christ's body. And remember, the key point is, again, unity and diversity, right? The three key words, unity in diversity. All different, but now it's because we are all part of the same body, under the same Lord, serving the same purpose. So look at verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Skip down to 27. 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. When it comes to spiritual gifts, some may have more gifts, some may have fewer gifts. But whether you have this gift or that gift, whether you have lots of gifts or fewer gifts, it's up to God. You see, repeated in this chapter, this key idea, verse 11. Just as he determines, God. Verse 18, just as he wanted them to be. Verse 24, God has put the body together. Verse 28, God has placed. You see, God designed the body. And God designed you to be a part of that body just where you are. It's his plan. It's his purpose. So don't begrudge others. Don't look down on others. Don't envy others. Because to do that is sort of to say, God, you made a mistake and I would have done a better job than you, God, in designing this body. Do you see? There's all grace. There's no place for boasting. We all need each other just as every part of your body needs every other part. Okay? 
Every part needs every other. Now, in verses 15 to 26, he's going to spell it out. And we don't have time to read it all in detail. But there, Paul really is going to address two groups. Two groups. So the first bit, verses 15 to 20, 15 to 20, he's going to speak to those who feel less important, who feel less gifted, like you don't have as much to offer. And then he's going to switch it to the other group in verses 21 to 26. 21 to 26, he's going to speak to those who feel more important, who feel like they're more gifted. Now, what does he say to the first group, 15 to 20? If you feel less important, God says to you, don't forget, we need you. Right? If you feel less important, we need you. What's he going to say to the second group? Verses 21 and 26, he's going to say to them, if you feel more important than others, don't forget, you need me. Now, me being the people who aren't more important, who don't feel more important. Right? So if you feel less important, the message is, I need you still. If you feel more important, you need to hear, you need me still. See, the first group need to know that not everyone can be eyes and hands. That's what he says in verses 15 and 20. But we still need you, even though you're a foot or a year, unless you want the body to look like this. And no one wants to look like that, a giant eye. And the second group needs to know that even though you don't think you're important, oh, sorry, you don't think other people are as important as you, right? As you look around, they're not as important as me. Well, they are still very important to the body. Those who don't have your gifts that may be the more upfront, spectacular, showy gifts, they are still absolutely necessary, as much as your upfront showy gifts might be seen as necessary. So I don't know if you guys know what these things are. They both belong to a car. The one on the left is called an ignition module. The one on the right is a radiator hose. Now, I don't know much about cars, but I've read that the ignition module is one advanced piece of electronic, right? It's pretty complex, and you cannot start your car without it. The second, the radiator hose, well, the idea of a hose has been around for thousands of years. It's pretty basic tech, and yet your car also cannot function without it, and many other hoses. But you see, for a car to function, you need both the complex ignition as well as the simple radiator hose. Every part plays a role. Now, there are both groups here at Southwest, at SWEC. Some of you here, you look around you and you feel like, what can I contribute? I'm really just not that talented at stuff. Or you look around you and you think, yeah, I may be able to, have, might have talents, but there doesn't seem to be a need for me. So I'm just going to pull right back. Well, if that's you, did you know that if God brought you to this church and this is your church, then there is some part of this body that is not functioning as well as it could because you're not involved. We need you. This body needs you. There's something missing because you're not involved. Now, others here, the second group, you need to realize that the body functions best when every single member is given an opportunity to exercise their gifts. 
So those of you who are great at doing things, leaders especially, experienced people, can I encourage you to see it as your role to train and empower new people, noobs, to have a go. See it as your role, not just to do the work, serve in the capacity, but to look out for, encourage, train, empower noobs. Now, let me say it's easier said than done because if you've ever done something well and you're experienced at it, it's pretty frustrating and difficult to let it go, especially if you're a control freak, because you can always do it better and more efficiently. But training is frustrating because you will always need to drop quality and efficiency in the short term. But that's the key, isn't it? In the short term. So, if you are in a position where you've done something and you do it well, be willing to empower someone else to do it. Not as well initially, but in the long term, it means that more people serve. The body grows stronger. That's what we want, isn't it? That's our purpose. So let me encourage you to do that if you're in the second group. Now, my wife, Karen, a couple of months ago, she sprained her ankle pretty badly. Um, and after a few weeks of that, she went to see the physio and her hips and her calf muscles were all affected by her sprained ankle. And if you know anything about uh, body mechanics, that's what happens. Because your body compensates for one hurting part, the other parts overcompensate, and so the other parts end up being out of whack and hurting as well. That, that's how body works, and that's what verse 26 says. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices in it. We all need each other. Right? If there's a deficiency in one part, it's going to affect everyone else. But if one part is honored, then everyone else can rejoice. All right, so that's a long point five. Next couple are very much shorter. Number six, it is good to desire greater gifts. Now, Paul ends the chapter in verse 31 right at the end, and you notice he says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. He's saying this is what you should be desiring. You should desire greater gifts. What does that mean? Well, in the verses just before it, we won't read it again, verses 28 to 29, he lists a number of gifts or a number of the types of people God gives to the church. And he orders them, you'll note. He starts with apostles up the top, right down to tongues at the bottom. And then he says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Presumably, he wants you to go up the scale. Now, that's a bit surprising given everything we've said, right? It seems a bit of a contradiction. I thought every gift was important. How can some be greater? How can there be an order? Well, this will be fleshed out in more detail in a couple of weeks' time in chapter 14, but let me give you a preview. Greater is not what we think is greater. Greater, especially in light of chapters 13 and 14, greater is what's most helpful for the most number of people in a particular church. You got that? Greater is what's most helpful for the most number of people in a particular church. It's entirely other person-centered, not about self-centered greatness. And here's the other key. What's greater may be different from one church to another church. Now, what, what do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 27 again. Verse 27, it says, you are the body of Christ. Who is the you? The you is, Paul is writing, to the church in Corinth. Right? It's a church in one place, one part of the world. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't say to them, you are a body of Christ. He says, you are the body of Christ. 
He doesn't even say you are part of the body of Christ. He says you are the body of Christ. What is he saying there? Because there are lots of churches all around the world by that time. So he is saying that you, Corinthian church, this local church, or we sometimes call a local church, even though you're just one local church of thousands, you are meant to be the body of Christ where you are. You got that? Every local church, whether it's a mega church of thousands or a house church of two families, every local church is the body of Christ. Not just a part of the body of Christ. Not just a body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. This means that this body of Christ here at SWEC, in this body of Christ, there will be gifts that are going to be more needed at this time that can benefit others and benefit more people, but will be different at another church. That's the whole point. Right? What's greater, what's most important in terms of gifts, is going to vary from church to church and even from congregation to congregation. I'll just give you an example. At this congregation, I think we're pretty good with music team members at this point in time. We've got quite a few of them. We've got enough preachers, there's enough pastors to go around preaching, students and so on. Um, We're doing pretty well nowadays with service leaders. But you know what? We really need, continually need more kids, teachers and helpers. All right? Now, that's us right now at this congregation. It would be different in another body of Christ. Do you see what I mean? And so it's really great if you're motivated after what we've heard today. If you want to see the body of Christ here at Sweck built up. It's great if you desire greater gifts. As long as what you mean by greater is not your version of greater, but other person-centered. Of what can benefit the most number of people in this body at this time and it's great to desire to be able to fill that need see the corinthians likely thought the greater gifts were speaking in tongues because that was so cool and you know it made you seem so spiritual well paul as important as that gift is because all gifts are important but he actually noticed that every single list he puts it right at the bottom right at the bottom right at the bottom why because he's trying to turn around what they think is important Right? We have to now judge greater by another standard as what's most helpful to others. So let's apply this. Maybe as a result of today's sermon, you feel convicted to step up and serve the body of Christ here at SWEC. It's fantastic. So how do you go about doing that? Well, one starting point, and this is the usual starting point that people will talk about as well, begin by looking at you. Look at yourself. What are your abilities? How has God made you? And then find the gift and the opportunity to use it. Okay, that's one way you could do. Start by looking at you. But let me suggest to you another starting point. And it's worth considering, especially what we looked at this chapter. Don't start from you. Start from the church. That is, look around or ask around. What are the needs at SWEC? And how can I serve given the needs now and i i may find a need that i have zero experience in to but i'm willing i'm able i'm available to learn now maybe after trying that you realize you're unsuited to do it in the long term right so it's not just about talents but ability has something to do with it so you might be like oh yeah there's a need at the sound table or the pa desk but you realize you have like 
no ability to click a mouse for some reason or press a button. You're just really bad at it. And it's possible. That's okay. And now you've realized. And it may not be suitable for you to continue serving that ministry long term. You've got to be humble enough to say, no, nah, it's probably not for me, but I'm glad I got, it, got to give it a go. But it may be, like with so many, I'll tell you what, you know these band members, a lot of these guys who play drums, guitar, most of them haven't had lessons in those, les- in those instruments. I can still remember when Tim Lim first picked up a guitar, right? It was because we just needed a youth band because we were sick of me playing. And he's gone reasonably good now. <laughs> a lot of kids ministry leaders never had a go. And then now it's like, oh, wow, I, I, not only do I like teaching kids, I'm pretty good at it. You don't know until you've had a go. And it may be that you, by trying, filling a need, will discover a passion, perhaps even a talent. So if that's you, and you're like, yeah, I really want to do something to be part of this body, come and have a conversation with myself, with Pastor Marshall, uh, or one, one of your um, CG leaders. And then finally, last point, and this is a super short point, there is something even better than gifts. After all of this, Paul says, I will show you a more excellent way. There is something even more important than gifts, and that's going to come in the next chapter. So we'll leave it till then. Let's pray. Father, help us as the body of Christ here to have every follower of Jesus play his or her part, that we may honor the one who called us and gave us these gifts, Jesus, that we may build up this body into maturity and into its effectiveness in this world to see more people follow Jesus, and that every single one of us will be convicted to play our part for his name's sake. Amen.